0: A big, warm welcome to the UN Global Compact Academy. I'm Sarah kruger the Executive Director of Global Compact Network Denmark. And today I'm excited to welcome you back to our Academy Changemaker Series here from Copenhagen in Denmark. With this series, we want to help you learn directly from some of the most innovative and influential people around the world. Our guest today, is the vice president at the multinational energy company, Ørsted, Overseeing the organization's sustainability strategy, he was heavily involved in Ørsted's transition from one of the most fossil fuel dependent companies in Europe to a global leader in the green energy sector. I'm so delighted to welcome you, Philip Engel from Ørsted. Over the next 30 minutes, we will learn about what motivated Erste's transition to a more sustainable business model? What lessons learned for how to make transformational change happen? And the important role of collaboration for a net zero future. Last but not least, we will learn about Philip's take on what future proof leadership skills and characteristics look like. To start out, um, we'd love to know a little bit more about you, Philip and where your sustainability journey began. Um, what are some of the concrete experiences you had as a business leader that made it clear to you uh, that focus on sustainability was critical for a long-term success?
1: So, so I, I think I'll actually mention an experience from my childhood mm-hmm. more than as a business leader. I remember vividly the day I, I read in the newspaper about greenhouse gases effect, and I think I was probably 11 or 12 years old. I remember it clearly, that was when I first understood that something was not right. Something in the way that we worked as as human beings, as societies, we needed to change that to uh, to make sure that long-term uh, we would thrive.
0: And I think it's very inter- interesting to hear that you, as a, a person that was focused on that, also chose to join a fossil fuel intensive coal an oil company yeah Um,
1: well that's a good observation (laughs) and i did that because i sensed that something was brewing at the company back then called Dong energy it was uh, one of the as you point to one of the most um, carbon intensive energy companies of europe Uh, we were mainly a a danish company we had a lot of coal-fired power plants and we also had some oil and gas production in the north sea but I was interviewing for a position, and I, well, I could sense, but I was, I was also told that this position would be about uh, helping to uh, communicate and to, to, to guide sustainability-wise also the transformation to renewables.
0: Do you know where the transition inside the company came from and, and what f- formed for yeah. does move? towards
1: that yeah I, I think there were a couple of pressure points uh, one of them was the fact that at the moment our business model was simply struggling you know it, it, there was when you looked ahead back in so we're talking about 2008, nine uh, and, and and when when you looked ahead it didn't seem too promising to have a, a business model that was based on on fossil fuels and especially the coal-fired power plants um, and and then the second pressure point was that uh, the climate agenda was on the rise. Mm -hmm. The EU had started to adopt uh, some climate targets. Uh, There were more and more conversations about the need to to change uh, energy from fossil fuels to renewables. You had Al Gore's film around the Mm -hmm. same time. Uh, And, uh, and, you know, as a company, you know, we had a strategy to build uh, coal-fired power plants. And in some of the countries where we wanted to do that, in Germany, for instance, we were facing demonstrations uh, saying, no, you don't come here and build your coal-fired power plants. And so it was pretty clear that something was happening. But back then, it wasn't evident that that was material and that that would be long-lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, if, it, if it were, I think more companies would have done like we did and would have changed towards renewables. Um, but we, um, we thought that that we needed to change because that was where the future of energy would be. That would be where the, the future of energy business uh, would be. And also because, yeah, I mean, it was the right thing to do. And that was a drive that came very, very much from top management, mm-hmm. especially from the CEO back then. Anders uh, Eldrup, who had a clear view of the company needing to, to change. And that that view has then been followed and accelerated by his successor, Henrik Paulsen, as CEO, and now our CEO for one and a half years, Mads Nipper. Um, so so I cannot say clearly enough how important it is, that's at least my experience, to have that top management buy-in to make that change.
0: And that's so in- interesting because our next theme is actually to take on the challenge. Mm. How do you go about this transformational change that you need to do as a company? And um, and sharing our experiences and strategies of overcoming these challenges is also cr- crucial to help others along the way. Yeah. So that's why we focus on this change maker series. So um, you want to transform the business from one based on fossil fuels to one based on renewable energy. Mm. And, and to find a business model that's both both environmentally and financially sustainable how do you go about that because you were so focused on coal and fossil fuels
1: yeah. how do
0: you, how do you change the business model overnight or over yeah. a, a number of years
1: what we've done is to change from by, by far having fossil fuels i think it was 85% of our of our power and heat generation that came from fossil fuels to now being ninety around 90% of, of our power and heat that comes from, from renewables. So we've changed that and, and, and we know in the next couple of years we'll be very, very close to 100% and, and and we'll be a carbon neutral company in our energy production and operations by 2025. Really cool. And that sounds like... Very, very cool. Well, that's, that's also <laughs> a, a, a real privilege to have been a part of. But it, 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 when you say it like that, it almost sounds easy, right? Mm-hmm. I just made that switch. Yeah. But it has been very challenging, it has been very, very, very difficult. And and one of the challenges was, as you point to, what do we then do instead? Yeah. Um, and 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 obviously, that was not easy to find that answer. And the answer we actually found uh, with, uh, back then, 50 people, it wasn't more than that, who sat in sort of in a, in a corner of, uh, of our offices and who had spilled some experiences in offshore wind. Back then, we had built a couple of offshore wind farms, relatively small compared to, to the, the scale today. Um, but that was the, the, the capability, if you will, we identified to build on and to, to scale up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, quite a bit because, uh, as I said, it was very few people who, had, who we had and, and, and our competencies did not have a lot of, of, of legacy. But no one had that. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a supply chain. Uh, there, there was no one out there who had actually more experience than we had. Actually, we were one of the more experienced companies. So it was a very, quite immature technology. But we, um, we identified that as, as, the, uh, as the foundation for our future business. Uh, and then we, uh, we, went, uh, we went all in on it. Uh, and we allocated resources to that, both financial, but also human. Uh, and started to, to scale up, and, and and that is that is in its in its, in a nutshell how you do that. Obviously, it also needs to uh, to stand on the on the on the back of a business environment where it's possible. So there's a lot to be said about how policymakers uh, and other and also industry, of course, have have worked with us in scaling offshore wind to the extent that it, it was the core of our transformation. But actually, more than that. Uh, it is now, today, a viable, mature off-technology, renewable technology, with the potential to supply energy to the equivalent of hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. It cannot do it alone at all. Mm-hmm. And we're also today active in solar energy and in onshore wind, and we are looking a lot at uh, and working with uh, with green fuels, but offshore wind is a key component and one of the sort of backbones of that transition that the world has to and is and is in the process of of undergoing
0: and i think that's such an interesting point this to go from a business case that's viable that you know you need to leave well, and to another one that, that's so uh, unsecure in many in many areas and I want to talk about these internal and external pushbacks and and, the, and and how how you were challenging that to be in a company where you want to make a change but there's this massive awareness from outside and maybe also a lot of pushback inside how do you challenge that and how do you address that
1: I guess you could say that there were probably two, key points during our transformation where we sort of make or break. And, and the first challenge that, that, that we were faced with was simply to realize that we had to change. Yeah. And I think that's the first challenge that anyone is faced with. Mm-hmm. And, and that is difficult. And so just to give you a couple examples of how that played out, one of my first meetings I had was in a room with uh, maybe 10 people. And you had everyone sort of involved in, in positioning. You had the head of marketing and branding and the head of CSR, as it was called back then, the mm-hmm. head of, uh, of, of, of corporate comms and, and head of investor relations in the room. And on one side of the table, you actually had uh, the, the colleagues who said, we should not go out and say anything about the need to transform, the need to do something about climate change and, and, and our need to reduce our emissions because we had high uh, carbon emissions. Okay. Uh, why? Because it was too risky and, and eventually the climate focus would probably die down. And on the other side of the table, you had the people who uh, said that we we needed to say something about it. We need to come out on this strongly. And and the discussion was heated. Mm. Uh, and I'm not saying this to throw uh, the colleagues who were sort of opposed to, to coming out under the the bus in any way, Mm-mm. because it, it, it's natural that that there are different views yeah. uh, in a process like this. So it just goes to illustrate uh, how how diverse the, the views are, uh, and why is that? I, I think I think well for one reason, you know, th- it's not just a job you're doing; it's identity. Uh, you know, think about it. We were one of the leading companies in building and operating co fired power plants we had 3000 people exactly how can who how can that, that be
0: an advantage if you want to e- exactly leave it. <laughs>
1: and it wasn't you know clearly because <laughs> then suddenly you have you 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 been told if you if you do that if, if you are if you're an engineer or an, and and you are an expert on that, and then suddenly you're told that it's not good anymore it's not just that it's not good it's it's something that the the, the world does not need. It's dangerous to the world yeah. uh, to continue to do that. You know that's hard to take in for for human human beings. Yep. And, and another example was that uh, the the strategy team responsible who worked with the power plants, they were given the task to to come up with a plan for how to change, how to phase out coal and go to renewables. And essentially, they said, we cannot be done yep. um, because. The, the, It was was so transformative that the models they were looking into, they just couldn't see a different reality. Obviously, because those models on sort of the energy system, they're based on some assumptions. For instance, the one assumption that renewables is very, very much cheaper than fossil fuels. So if you just model your stuff based on that assumption, you end up with the conclusion that it can't be done. So you need to challenge yourself and say, hmm, what if we can reduce the cost of renewables? Can it then be done? Mm. So, so that was, those were examples of how difficult it was. And the way that we tried to overcome that um, was, for instance, that um, you know, management, in this case, set up another team to do those, those analysis, to try to, to draw up that plan for how we would, uh, how we would make the change. And, and, and secondly, uh, it was remarkable to see how um, leadership used communication externally to drive the change internally so that's
0: really interesting because Mm -hmm. I was gonna ask you with all this pushback from internal uh, actors and and from external as well what's what what was the driver Mm -hmm. and this is communication as well so you use yes fantastic I mean
1: uh, if if so if you um, if you work in the field of of communications I think uh, I think don't let anyone tell you that uh, (laughs) that that it can be a force for a major force for change because this is a we had a vision for where to go. We wanted to change from fossil fuels to renewables and to do it within, back then it was, was three decades. Um, so in tw- by 2040, we wanted to make the change. Three decades, your,
0: was your time span. Yes, yeah. by
1: 2040. Then we ended up doing it by 2020, but, but that was the vision. Um, but the plan to get there, and how to do it? That wasn't that wasn't clear. So instead of 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 spending endless time internally on discussions and strategy meetings and and, and bringing in consultants and, and 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 endless discussions at a time where a lot of the business actually didn't feel comfortable making that change management was very clear in communicating externally that this is what we need to do. Yeah. And, and and that became a self-fulfilling sort of prophecy. fact and prophecy in yeah. the sense that, that then our stakeholders started to really expect it from us. Politicians, yeah. uh, NGOs, um, public media. And so eventually it became a fact uh, of something we had to do, um, and that was a key in driving the transformation. And obviously, it's, it can be risky uh, because um, because that you could you can also see a backlash.
0: No one can change a system by by themselves, and and you've said that you're you're part of something much bigger than your company. You, you're part of this whole green transition, but. Who are and who have been your most crucial allies in the transformation?
1: It's pretty clear that uh, that policymakers in the northwestern European markets who bet on offshore wind have been key allies. Yeah. So governments in Denmark, uh, to some extent also Germany also did quite a lot, of, and, and the UK, yeah. they have been key, uh, they've been instrumental. Very concretely, you need policymakers makers uh, because it's policy who governments who procure Um, offshore wind, so you needed them to say, we want to have built this much offshore wind. Because that gave certainty, long-term certainty, to uh, to the to the industry and that enabled us to to uh, to invest in it and enable other companies to invest so you actually so you build a supply chain that could deliver on that and because you then started to 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 do that you could deliver on the project so you had scale and as you had scale you 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 know prices come down mm. and you because you, you have that learning you come down a little and and that is that's been that's been that's been crucial and there, there there was a time around thirteen fourteen and that was that that was the other uh, crucial point where it was a bit make or break. We could lose everything yeah. on the floor at that point. Uh, the industry was not had not sufficient scale, so that uh, if government support and also subsidies had stopped, the industry would probably have uh, have died. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a critical time because governments were facing recession, but they uh, they stuck to the commitment at that point. And uh, four years after, uh, we started to deliver the first. Offshore wind projects that were competitive and then eventually cheaper than fossil fuels. Four years. It is so important for for how we are. To, this learning here that governments and, and industry need to work together, mm. uh, and how governments can can shape a market that the uh, that the, uh, the the companies can then uh, can then deliver on, uh, and that creates a. A positive feedback cycle where you then bring down the cost, and then governments can go more, can become more ambitious, and then industry can scale up even more. Uh, That insight is 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 key when it comes to so many of these fundamental challenges that we uh, that we are looking into uh, as a as a world being uh, the climate challenge or biodiversity. Uh, Or what have you? You need that strong collaboration if you want to solve those challenges and find solutions to them. It's
0: challenges that we're all going to experience, so we need to work together. Yes, that's a very strong point that I'll also take take with me. Do you feel the momentum for transformation is actually growing now?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so uh, the 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 momentum for transformation is growing. but it's it's a strange time to be in because on one hand I'm more positive and hopeful than I've ever been that the transformation will happen, but at the same time I'm I'm more I'm I'm almost more depressed than I've ever been yeah. in the sense that time is running out. Yeah. We now we have the many of the techn- technologies we need. Uh, we have um, we have offshore wind. We have solar. We have onshore wind. And, and they are, they are cheaper mm-hmm. than fossil fuels. We also are starting to see uh, green fuels based on hydrogen that would replace fossil fuels in shipping, aviation. We, we have all of that. Uh, obviously, there's still some challenges to solve technology-wise, but essentially we have the solutions. We also have a lot of capital out there wanting to invest. So it's not, it's not that that's the challenge. It's, in essence, the challenge is leadership. We have the technologies, we by and large have the capital, we need leadership, leadership to remove the barriers, also policy-wise, yeah. uh, that, that inhibits the, the acceleration of the transformation. There is a consensus of, about, I would say, by and large that this is where we need to go. But at the same time, uh, time is running out, and we only have a couple of years left to really start to reduce uh, the, uh, the global emissions, and that looks very difficult.
0: And why is that?
1: We're not doing more rapidly because we have uh, so many um, legacy barriers uh, that we just continue to to be stuck in. So, for instance, we still uh, we still governments around the world still support financially fossil fuels okay. to uh, to the tune of I do not know how much money it is, but it is an an insane amount. Mm. And, and that's 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 legacy, yeah. and it builds a lock in in your system that's hard to get out of. Because what happens if you take that away? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's not a big issue in in a rich country like like Denmark, but in other countries, you suddenly take that those subsidies away, prices will go up. Yeah. So how do you manage that? It's just one example of the barriers uh, that we need to to, to tackle. Another example uh, could be that uh, if you want to have more renewables, you also need to build the infrastructure to get the. Energy from from A to C is difficult to build. It people they want renewables, but at the same time, when they when they hear that something will be built close by and there's going to be sort of a power line, even if it's going to go underwater, but there's going to be some construction work, then they don't want it right there, right?
0: You are taking leadership in Earthsteel. Uh, you're also uh, you've also recently set this net zero science based target, and you are the first energy company to do so in the world. Why is it important to also be you know? the front runner and being on the cutting edge and, and what's good about it and what's difficult.
1: So what's good about it is that when you, when you talk about climate change, uh, but essentially also other sustainability challenges, uh, it's not good enough to do something. You have to do enough. Yeah. So. Or more. Or more, even (laughs) preferably more. And, and our, our, our carbon emissions trajectory is a good example of that we have reduced emissions not just as quickly as s- climate science says it's necessary to stay within 1.5 degrees but actually a couple of decades faster and mm. um, that's our, our scope one and two uh, right so our, our, our sort of own emissions and we're now looking to the supply chain to also do the same to bring down emissions uh, quickly and and, and, and and it's just it's just necessary you know when i started in, uh, in 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 this in this business i remember that the the dominant thinking around climate was so still symbolic that you would do something and then that would sound good mm-hmm. but in, at the end of the day you know it wasn't it wasn't you know an initiative to i don't know turn the lights off which is fine but it wasn't a part of a coherent plan for how to reduce your emissions no. and it needs to be because if not how do you know that you're
0: doing enough yeah and I think that's a really important uh, discussion on also this this whole massive change in our mindsets and 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 also rethinking what we do in 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 all aspects of life what are the main challenges and key steps in this next frontier of your climate journey because right. we have to you know we have to move further yeah. you've already done a lot but it doesn't stop here and the challenges are also a, the picture and the challenge picture is also changing. So, so, so what's, what's the next journey?
1: So, so, so we are at the point where we have um, almost transitioned completely to renewables in our own energy production and we'll be carbon neutral by 2025. So, so now we've set sight on our supply chain. We started to do that some, you know, two or three years ago where we came out with a, a target to be carbon neutral in our, uh, in our sort of scope free, including our supply chain. By twenty forty, and and that's about decarbonizing, uh, hard to abate, so so sectors where it's hard to bring down emissions, such as steel, mm-hmm. such as uh, such as uh, heavy um, heavy trans- transportation from from ships, for instance, vessels, yeah. um, and and that's that is again transformative, yeah. uh, because you 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 don't, I mean, you know what the technologies are to produce uh, low carbon steel, but no one has sort of doing it at the necessary scale. So it's very—it's a bit similar to the, to the situation we were in with, with offshore winds. That's the, that's the next frontier on climate specifically. Uh, but I would say that our next transformation, sort of more generally, is, is bigger than climate. Yeah. It's about us as a company, uh, how we want to transition to be a more sustainable company across the board.
0: We like to end with a lightning round on the future leadership. And for each question, say the first things that come to your mind. What other industry and, and organization or leader do you take inspiration from?
1: You know, I, I actually think when I want to get inspired, I actually look backwards more than forward. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if you, if you look at how the world has evolved historically, um, the changes, they always come as a surprise. Yeah. And it is always almost the case that in the beginning, uh, sort of incumbents uh, and, and, and organizations, and, and often society at large, resist the change. Uh, and then you have parts of society, um, for instance, on the, on the fringes of society, whether it's NGOs or younger people who say, we need to change. And no one first wants to hear what they have to say. And then eventually over time, they're proven right. And, and yes, then we do make the change. So I, I often look to those situations and I, I think about those, whether it's sort of the, the civil rights movement, movement or the movement against, against racism or the movements, movements against uh, pollution, uh, local pollution, uh, to really remind myself that you know we need to keep pushing and we need to listen to the voices in sort of the fringes of society. If you want to know how society will look like in 10 years from now and where you should go as a business. Don't look to the mainstream conversation. No. Look to look to the, the fringes. Look to the marginal voices. Because that is where the change will come from. That's where you'll see what goes what goes on. And don't be arrogant. Don't don't say, yeah, yeah, that's just some silly whatever organization. Uh, that, that will never happen. Because just look at what has, has happened just look at who I mean who championed responsible tax 10 years ago right who, who, who listened to what those NGOs organizations said no one mm-hmm. no one it would never be a thing they said today you have clear guidelines from OECD and, and hardcore legislation also in, in, in more and more uh, countries. Uh, biodiversity you know I think five six years ago most business leaders couldn't even pronounce it no. but you had NGOs talking about it and, and starting to put it in the agenda.
0: You, you mentioned the young people and few are more concerned about the future than, than the young generations. After all, they're also the ones who will be living it. What is the one thing that you can promise the younger de- generations? I can. If you can promise them no, I. Yeah, I can promise <laughs> can them try. one thing, and it's yeah. that they're right. Yeah.
1: So they should keep on pushing. Yeah. They're on the right side of history. And uh, personally, uh, I don't want my son and my daughter to ask me in, in 30, 40 years, you know, Dad, what did you do? To, to help create the change, and and then I, I can't really answer.
0: If you could give just one piece of advice to young professionals, what would it be?
1: I think the, the one advice I would I would give um, is to uh, to continue to 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 stick to your guns, uh, continue to push, continue to push for the change. You are the young people. You are the future, uh, and and I can see that you know if you're our company, any company. If you want the best and the brightest to work for you, you need to pay attention to what they say. Yeah. So you are a force to be reckoned with, you are a force for change, and you are very powerful if you, if you channel your views of where uh, the world should, uh, should go. So, so make, your, make your choices based on that, also with respect to who you want to work for.
0: What are th- the three most important characteristics leaders need to create a change in today's world?
1: The, the 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 most important one of the most important I'd say is to um, to challenge your assumptions, to listen to to voices that that uh, that say something differently than what you believe in, and to uh, to take them in and 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 think about them and, and be willing to to challenge your own beliefs and, uh, and assumptions because if you don't do that, then you risk that you don't see. The next thing that comes your way, the, the, the thing that at the moment is perhaps a bit on the fringes, but then in 10 years or five years, maybe even, will, will be a fundamental boundary conditions in how the business environment is being shaped. Mm-hmm. The, the second, uh, I would say, is to dare to take the leap of faith. Um, you know, when we talk about transformations, uh, not everything, or by far, uh, can, be, uh, can be can be can be analysed into detail, and 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 I think it's very human, also as a business leader, that you want to be able to account in detail for uh, for both for the upsides and the downsides of making a transformation. But exactly because it is a transformation, that is really hard to do, mm. because the transformations challenge, uh, they challenge the, the the board. They make the the landscape look differently. Yeah. So the models, if you will, that you use to to make those analysis, they can capture the, what will happen on the other side of the change. That was the case for us yeah. when we started the transformation. If you took the models back then, they said, forget about it, renewables, never going to happen. Why? Because one of the assumptions was that renewables would stay much more expensive than fossil fuels forever. Mm. Right, so, so you can't account for that clearly. So instead of trying to, to get absorbed into detail, you also need to take more of an insight perspective. L- try to find the fundamental insight that tells you what's the right direction, and then accept at the end of the day that there's a leap of faith. And then finally, the third thing I wanna to point to, um, continue to communicate your vision. Yeah. If you then have set your direction, continue to communicate uh, what that direction is, why you're doing it, what the benefits will be, um, and, uh, and and to make sure you get both your own organization, but also obviously uh, stakeholders on board with where you're going.
0: Yeah, Philip, thank you so much for giving your insights, um, it was and a thank pleasure. you to all the participants joining us in this conversation. I hope you've all enjoyed it as much as I have. I think that I, what I take f- from this conversation with you is that we have to be very courageous, mm. we have to be very bold yes. and visionary, we have to listen to the corners of society and then we have to persi- uh, be persistent mm. in continuing mm. to push and continuing to work. And then a very important thing that I, I wouldn't have, have thought about before I sat in this chair is that that we have to communicate mm. why we're doing it and why it's important to also convince everyone inside the the company and also the politicians and and the whole community around the company. Um, We want to be a force for good, and Mm -hmm. I I think you've been a fantastic example on on a company that has done it and even done it 20 years faster than expected, which is really very, very impressive. So, Philip, thank you for for joining this conversation, and uh, keep up. The fantastic work for our future generations. We'll try.
1: And thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Thank you.